I count it a real privilege to get this chance because preaching is not my thing. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I feel very anointed from God that He has called me to teach. But preaching, this is only the, actually the second time I've actually preached. I've had a couple like short 10-minute deals I've done, a couple of those also. But So I might be guinea-pigging on you just a little bit this morning. So... But anyway, um, I do. I don't take it lightly what to stand here in the pulpit speaking to God's people. It is a very serious thing, and I take it that way. But I appreciate the opportunity, and I know you came here to seek God this morning. I could tell by the presence that was here today. So, anyway, today I'm going to be speaking about the war of words. There's a war of words going on in the world. If you haven't noticed, anybody turn on the TV or you got any kind of social media, there's a constant barrage of war of words. And, you know, whether we're talking about politics, oh my gosh, sometimes it gets a little out of control. But there's a war of words about capitalism versus socialism. And there's race issues and immigration issues. There's a war of how you want to look at that and how that should all play out and you know, how much control the government should have over our lives. And a new one that's come up recently, at least it's new to me, is that's getting more ramped up is, you know, whether the government can force you to vaccinate your children. And, of course, the whole thing about abortion has always been a war, about when and where and is it okay and is it ever okay. And, you know, it's just getting more and more. But it's not just that. It turns into... You know, there's environmental issues, right? Animal rights and global warming. And there's always this war of words on both sides. One side's saying this and somebody else is saying that. And we're warring for your mind is really what it amounts to. They're trying to get you to change your mind to their side, whichever side of the war you, you're, they're speaking from. They're, it's a war for your mind is really what it amounts to. But this morning, we're going to look at it not about political stuff. I'm sure you get enough of that. You don't need that from me. But we're going to look at it from the stand of a war word related to God. And, of course, in the big world, again, there's a war world word whether God even exists. And if He does exist, which God is the true God? And what is He like? And what does He want from us? And so there's that whole thing. But we're going to pinpoint it a little bit deeper than that this morning, even than that. But I'm going to start out here by saying the war of words didn't start with us in the 21st century. It didn't start when President Trump got elected. It started clear back in the beginning in Genesis. And so we're going to start this morning by reading Genesis 2, 15 through 17. I think Kent maybe has that. Carrie has that. Carrie has that one. Okay, so God put man in the Garden of Eden and the first thing He tells him is you can eat from any, pay attention, you can eat from any tree except the one. But then Satan comes along. We don't know how long span in between it was. It doesn't tell, but it's the next chapter. In Genesis, Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Carrie, you want to read that also, please? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, 
Okay, thank you. Okay, the first thing we notice that I want to bring out is it says Satan comes in the form of a serpent. It doesn't say Satan, but I'll show you later where Revelation actually calls the serpent Satan. So, so that's I'm sure you all understand that. But anyway, Satan comes in the form of a serpent. The first thing he said, remember what God, God said, you can eat from any tree. Satan comes and says, did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That's one of the things in the War of Words. It gets twisted and it gets exaggerated. Both things are happening here. Satan is twisting the Word and he's exaggerating the Word. Okay, trying to make God look bad. And then he goes on to say, you're not going to die. Right? In fact, God's holding out on you. Because if you eat this, you're going to get wise, you're going to get better, you're going to do all this. Part of that War of Word, trying to get you to change your mind. Okay, and so God's holding out on you. So that's a typical thing that we're going to see over and over today is the exaggeration and the twisting of, of the word in the war of words. And so, and then mixed in with flat out lies, right? There's also that in there mixed in with the truth. So, so then it says on in Genesis 6.3, the next verse it says, when, when she saw it, when Eve saw the fruit, that it was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye and that it was desirable to make her wise. She took it, she ate it, and then she gave it to her husband. So if we look at that, it says she looked, she took, she got the fruit. She saw that it was good for food. In other words, it was pleasing to her flesh. Right? It was pleasing to her flesh. It was pleasing to her eyes, which would be her emotions. And it was desirable to make her wise. And all those things are what happens of how we get twisted up is because we like things that make us please our flesh. We like things that are desirable that make us happy emotionally. And, of course, we all like to be intellectual and the things that make sense. And that's kind of how Satan attacks us. And so she took it and she looked at it. Part of the war of words, right? If you're on one side of gun control and somebody brings you a different idea, they're trying to get you to look at it, right? Isn't that the whole idea of it? Is trying to get you to look at their side. So she took it, she looked at it. But when we're dealing with Satan, we shouldn't be looking at it even. But she looks at it, sees that it's desirable, so then she takes it. Gee, I didn't die right now. So then she gave it away. So again, it's part of that progress of the war of words. So, um, so... I'm going to give you the summary of the sermon right up front here. Are we going to believe what seems good to our flesh, what's pleasing to our emotions, what seems desirable to our minds or makes sense to our minds? Are we going to believe what God says? That's basically the spiritual war of words. Are we going to do what makes sense to us and feels good and looks good and, or are we going to do what God says? Because sometimes... It can all look good. And it cannot, it's not always bad in and of itself, but if it's contrary to what God said, then we shouldn't be involved in that. Okay, so we see in, in uh, Mark chapter 4, Satan is compared to a bird, right, that comes when the farmer throws the seed out. You all know that parable. And the bird comes and snatches it, eats it right away. Well, that's what Satan's trying to do to you. Whenever you hear the Word or read the Bible or hear a sermon or... God speaks to your conscience, Satan's going to come right in there and he's going to try to, if he can't take it right away from you, he's going to twist it. He's going to try to make it about you. He's going to try to make it, he, he comes instantly to try to mess with you. And so, anyway, the other thing we're going to look at 
Well, I'll just let us read it. Revelations 12, 9. Um, who's got that one? Walt's got that one. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, to release the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Okay, so we're talking that the serpent, the dragon, is all talking about Satan. So just want to make sure you know who we're talking about here. Now go ahead and read verse 15. Okay, is it talking about real water here, you think? Probably not. It's not a water, it's not real water, it's not a river. What comes out of your mouth? Words. Thank you, you're doing the teacher thing. I appreciate that, that's what I want. Okay, words come out of your mouth. So, Satan's trying to drown you in a flash flood of words. That's his goal. He wants to flood you away in a flash flood of words and take you down the river and drown you, so to speak. That's his goal. And so, which is the opposite of what Jesus told the woman at the well. What did he tell her? You listen to me, and out of your belly will come a river of life that will spring up into eternal life. So we can listen to Satan and be taken off in his flood of lies or listen to God, and a well of life will come from us that will take us into life. And so that's the... That's kind of our contrast here in the war of words. Okay, and so just as another segue into our next section that I'm getting to, it says in Philippians 2.5, it says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. And then it talks some more things. But I just want to key in on that. Let this mind be in you. We need to have the same mind as Christ. We need to learn to do what Christ did, say what Christ did, think the way Christ did. And so... As I, we get to this next section, our main point that I'm pulling out of today is out of John chapter 5. And, but we need this in our mind that, that how did Christ think? Well, how did He deal with things? That's how we need to. This mind, same mind as Christ. Okay, so... Um, anyway, I guess we'll go ahead and read that one. John 5, 31 and 32. I think Walt has that also. Wait, wait, wait just a minute. I knew I was forgetting something. Okay, I better, I better preface it so you know where we're going here. In the war words, Satan is, is waging against it. So I already read that one. Okay. Um, there's three things in John 5 that are sources of words that Jesus tells us we shouldn't necessarily listen to as the main, as a source of truth. And these sound odd to us sometimes. The first one that Jesus said don't necessarily listen to as truth is words we say about ourselves. Okay? Now that's is a hard one for us because we think what we say about ourselves is going to be true, right? Nobody knows me like me. And besides, even science says we believe ourselves more than anybody else. Any other voice you hear, you believe your own voice more than other people's voices. And yet, we'll see here what Jesus says about that. Okay, go ahead and read it now. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Okay, did you get that? What Jesus said, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. This is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. And yet... 
what does he say? He says, I'm talking about myself outside of real truth, then it's not true. Wow. And then it goes on to say, there is another who testifies in my favor. I know his testimony about me is true. Who's he talking about? Who testifies about him? What? Okay, God or the Holy Spirit testifies about him and that's true. So Jesus won't even accept his own. If he's talking about himself outside of what the Father says about him, he says, can't listen to that. So how much more, if Jesus only listens to what the Father says about him, he will only say what the Father says about him, we can't rely on everything we say about ourselves as being true. And again, that sounds hard for us to handle, kind of, because we think what we say is ultimate truth. But if it's not what the Father says, it's, it's not necessary. And I'll give you some examples so you understand where I'm getting at here from the Bible. And that would be um, Exodus 4.10 gives us one of those examples. This is Moses. Somebody has that one. Laura. Okay, that sounds like anything you'd say about yourself. I guarantee you, if you'd asked me to preach 15 years ago, probably not that long ago, 10 years ago, I'd have said, no, I can't speak, and no, I'm not eloquent, I've never been eloquent, and no, I can't do that. But, so that's what Moses says about himself. That's what he'd testify about himself, but what does God say? Exodus 4, 11, and 12. I love that. God comes and says, He's saying, I can't talk, I can't do this. And God says, Who made your mouth? In fact, you could be dumb or mute or deaf. I'm the one who gave you what you have. Now go and speak. I'll tell you what to say. I'll help you. So we say things about ourselves, but God says something else. So we can't necessarily... The stuff we say about ourselves a lot of times is not the truth. Right? We think it is, but it's not. We can't count on that as being the truth because Satan twists again how we think. And so we tend to say stuff about ourselves that is contrary to what God says about us. In fact, Moses never really gets over this in my estimation. If you remember the story, he, Moses keeps complaining, so God gives Aaron to him to help speak for him. Well, when we get to the end of Moses' life, remember God comes to him again later and says, I want you to speak to this rock and make water come out of it. What does he do? Who remembers? Does he speak to the rock and make water out of it? He strikes it with his rod and the water comes out. So he didn't do what God said. So my theory on that is he knew he could do stuff with his rod because he had been he's parted to see with the rod. He had, knew there was power in his rod. He didn't think there was any power in his mouth still. Even though God had told him there's power in my mouth because I'm going to give it to you. But he didn't believe it. So his is what he believed himself was crippling him even years and years later. 
that still was holding him back from what God said. In fact, anybody know the consequences because he didn't believe God there? Yeah, he didn't get any go in the promised land because God told him to speak to the rock and he struck the rock. So he missed out on a big blessing from God because he didn't believe what God said about him. He believed what he said. So again, that's, that's the first thing Jesus says here that we shouldn't listen to what we say about ourselves. And I um, guess i got a couple of things that we might say about ourselves. You might say, I'm too shy to whatever, preach, to testify, you know, talk to my neighbor about Jesus, to go on a foreign mission. I don't know. We, we can say, you can fill in the blank, whatever it might be that fits your life. Here's what God says. Proverbs 8, 8 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no person is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as lions. So God said you're right, bold as a lion. Okay? But... But we don't see ourselves that way. But it don't matter what we say. That's not true. Uh, another one we might say that about ourselves is that, you know, I have no value. I have no purpose. But what does God say about us? In Jeremiah 1.5 it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Does that sound like you have no value or purpose? God has value and purpose for it. He formed you, so He was there. He made you the how He made you on purpose. So He's not oblivious to your physical weaknesses, whatever we might think those are. But He set you apart. He appointed you. <laughs> and in fact, appointed you to the nations, it says here for Jeremiah. But that I think it applies to us as well. Okay, Jeremiah 28.11 says something similar. I know the plans I have for you says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay, He has plans for you. So you have value. You have purpose. And you have a future. Okay, So what God says about you can be totally different than what you say about you. And we need to learn to believe what God says about us rather than what we say about us. Okay. And, okay, the second source of words that Satan tries to use against us in the war of words that aren't necessarily the truth and very often aren't, actually, is what others say about us. Uh, we find this, Jesus talking about this in John 5, verse 33 and 34. See, Kent's got that too. You can read it either place. Thirty-four. Also, was that thirty-four? Okay. Okay, that's good. Okay. So what I want to bring out there, I guess, if it's up there, is just the one part it says, "Not that I accept human testimony." In other words, Jesus is saying, "I don't accept what you say about me. I only..." Well, we'll look at that in a minute. But it's uh, he says, "I only accept what God says about me." Okay. How many of us have? been emotionally crippled by stuff people have said about us or to to us or about us. <laughs> My guess, if I was asked for a show of hands, there would be one or two people, it would be all that didn't raise their hand and they'd be lying probably. 
Because we've all been emotionally crippled by what people say about us. But Jesus says, I don't accept that as being the truth. I mean, they did the same thing to Jesus. They said terrible stuff about They told Jesus that he had demons. And one time when he cast a demon out of somebody, they said, you're casting that demon out by using the bells above the prince of demons. What if Jesus would have believed what they told him? He'd have probably stopped doing it, right? I don't want to be cast, using the devil to cast out stuff. So he'd have stopped doing what he was called to do. But he didn't do that. What did he remember? He remembered what the Father said about him. What did the Father say about him? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So he kept doing the ministry God had called him to because he believed what God said, not what man said about him. And there's always going to be those voices in us. A lot of us have our identity wrapped up in what people say about us. Right? Especially if it comes from, you know, close relatives when you're little kids or bullies in school that said mean stuff to you or whatever. There's always those voices that say you're not smart enough or you're not qualified enough or you're too fat or you're too skinny or you're too tall or you're too short or you're not smart enough or you're, you're not something. Right? We're always not something to someone. But that isn't, that's not who we should be listened to. But Jesus, again, as I said, Jesus doesn't accept human testimony. We'll go ahead and read that. Can't? I think you got that in two. Uh, John 5.37 and 5.39. Okay, those two things that are in there, God is also saying about you. The, the Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me. And the very Scriptures, verse 37 says, Scriptures themselves testify about me. They tell me who I am. That's also true of everyone sitting in here. The Scriptures testify about you. They tell you who you are. They tell you you're loved. They tell you you have a purpose. They tell you about your destiny. They tell you about your value. If you want to know what God says about you, dig out your Bible and start reading it. Because you need to know what God says about you. We need to listen to what God says we are, not what man says we are. Okay. Um, other people might tell you you're worthless. But the Scripture has different things to say about you. Kathy's got that one. Psalms 139:13 through 13-18. the detail of what God knows about you and how much He thinks about you. He, he was very precise when creating you. And then He knows all your days. He knows all the purposes. 
He knows He has so many thoughts about you that we can't even imagine how often He thinks about us is ultimately what this is saying. So who knows you better? God or some silly neighbor who's got a vendetta against you? (laughs) I mean, yet we listen to our silly neighbor or whatever, which again, ultimately is the voice of Satan. Satan's using their voice to mess with you, but it still is what people are saying. Okay, so then there's also somebody else might say to you that you're a screw-up. You'll always be a screw-up. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to get your life together. But what does God say about you? Ephesians 3.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Through Jesus, you you won't be that. These things ye once were, the Scripture says. But that's not who you are now. You don't. We don't have to stay that way. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning, about walking in the Spirit. And we learn to put those things aside. Okay, 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I love that one. Any of you got kids or grandkids? They have a special possession. They got their little teddy bear or whatever it is. They don't let nobody take their teddy bear. Nobody gets that. They hold it close to their hearts. God says you are that to Him. <laughs> you are His special possession that nobody can have, that, that, that He clings to. Okay, so anyway, that's what God says about us. So quit listening to what the enemy is saying to you about you. So I declare over you today, it's time to stop, stop letting what some bully said to you 20, 30 years ago tell you who you are. And we do that. It's time to stop that today. It's, I declare over you, it's time to stop letting that dysfunctional family member who talked bad stuff about you tell you what your value is. That is not what God says your value. They Stop letting them control your purpose and your calling because of the things they've said about you. Uh, I declare over you today to stop listening to the secular world that tries to tell you what you should think and what you should be and what your life should look like. Because they are. That war of worlds in the world is trying to skew with your mind to tell you how you should think and what you should do. And, and in their view, you're being too judgmental or whatever that they're going to tell you. But we don't listen to that. Okay, We stop doing that. Stop believing what the lies Satan are throwing at you. Again, his purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy you. Why would we listen to him? <laughs> Yet, too often we do because we're, we're not really aware it's him. But we need to get that awareness. Okay, so the third thing Jesus tells us not to listen to is don't accept the glory that comes from human beings. We find that in John 5:41 and 44. Kathy's got that one. Yeah. Okay. Jesus says, I don't accept glory from human beings. It can be a trap from Satan when we try to please man. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 44 there is that 
you want to get glory from men, but you want to get glory from me. And yet that's true. But what a trap. What a danger that we're trying because if you start trying to get your glory from humans instead of from, from God, then you're going to compromise your morals. You're going to compromise who Christ calls you to be because you cannot be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time because they, too often they're very, very contrary to each other. So we cannot want our glory from man. We have to get our glory from God. Why aren't we trying to get our glory from God? You know, the, the parable of the talents, when they get to the end, there's um, Jesus says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Why don't we want to hear that? We should, be, we should be working to get that glory from God, that we're pleasing Him every day with our lives and how we're living and what we're believing and what we're doing. Okay, so that's, that is the glory we should be seeking rather than the glory that comes from man. And there's a lot of that, again, the war of words in the world, there's a lot of that going on in the modern churches. They're trying to please man, and so they get to compromising the gospel and the truth of the gospel in order to get people to like them and to come and to put money in their plates or whatever the reason they do it, and we got to be on guard against that. We don't compromise the Word in order to make people happy. We have to stay with what God says. Um... Yes, that's it. So, here's the sum up of that. There's a war words going on, wage being waged against you. Are we going to believe what you say about yourself or what God says about yourself? Are you going to believe what people say about you or what God says about you? Are you going to try to get your praise and glory from men or are you going to try to get praise and glory from God the Father? Again, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. And Christ didn't do any of these things. He only got His glory and His praise and who He was, His identity from God Himself. So, how do we win this war of words? Satan's got this war of words. How do we go about winning it? Well, the first one we're going to look at today is we must know God's Word. We have to know God's Word. And so, I guess we'll... I think we are all right, Joe. Go ahead and read Matthew 4.10. tells us how Jesus won the war words. How did Jesus win the war of words against Satan? And you notice Satan was using the word. But he was using it unlawfully, so to speak. Trying to get Jesus to use it unlawfully. 
So he's crafty. <laughs> it's not like he's going to come with lies. The word Satan was using God's own word, but he was using it unlawfully. He was twisting it, he's twisting the meaning, trying to twist to make it about you. Jesus used this, turn this stone into bread, trying to make it so he can use God's power for himself, for his own selfish desires. And he's going to come to that. So if Jesus needed to use the Word of God to overcome Satan's, this war, how much more do we need to? So it's critical that we study the Word of God, that we read it, that we study it, that we memorize it, that we engulf ourselves into it. It's critical for us if we're going to win this war. Um, I guess that's it. So, so the next, second one that we must know in order to win the word of God, war of words is we must reject Satan's lies through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because everything Satan says is a lie. John 8, 44 talks about Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. So everything he says. And how do those lies, they don't come if Satan came with a in a form, a little red guy with a pitchfork, we'd know it was him and he's lying to us. But that's not how they come. They, he, they come as thoughts from that neighbor or from that bully back when you were eight years old. They, they come as thoughts. And so that's where we have to be aware of it and know that they come as thoughts. And we actually referred to this in Sunday school this morning is Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take, it cap- and we take captive every thought to make obedient to Christ. So the first thing it's talked about there is that we demolish strongholds. What strongholds is it talking about? Giant you know, thick walls in the natural? No, it's talking about thought processes that's been there along the neural pathways that Walt talked about this morning that we get in our mind because we've been told you were no good ever since you were eight years old and it gets these strongholds in our mind. Well, we can demolish them. We don't have to live with that forever. They can be brought down. But how do we do it? Well, it goes on to say we demolish arguments or I personally, like the King James Version, says casting down imaginations. Okay, these are all thoughts. They're imaginations, but we got to cast them down. You can't hold on to them because if you believe them, so when those thoughts come in your mind, you got to take hold of them, cast them down, and it goes on to say take captive every thought. You take it captive. You cast it down. You can't sit there and ponder on it like, Eve did the apple, right? Or whatever it was. She's looking at it, twisting it around. Oh, well, it don't look too... No, you got to get rid of that thing. you got to cast that thing down. Take it captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? To the obedience of Christ means you believe what God says. You believe what Christ says. You believe what the Holy Spirit's telling you. Okay? That's what that means. So, that's how another way we win the war of words is we got to we got to reject those lies through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can help us. We can't do it on our own. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to take those thoughts captive. Okay, so the third thing to win the war of words, to 
against Satan's lies is we must know God's voice and be intentional about obeying it and believing it. And the first thing, I don't even have this in my notes, but we need to know God's voice. It's another one of those things. I say that and how many, if I ask you a question, how many of you know God's voice? A lot of you would go, well, no, I struggle with that. But the Scripture says you do if you've been born again. My sheep know my voice. Now, do we recognize it? It's a process of learning it. Because we aren't going to necessarily, because there's so much noise, so many thoughts coming, that sometimes but the Scripture... So you start out by believing what the Word says again, that you can know God's voice. Okay, so that's the first place you start. And then we got to be intentional about it. And that's where we come to Deuteronomy 30, 19, and 20. Joe got that one? I guess Amanda's got that one. comes and says, I've set before you life and death. These, that, I mean, that's really what's happening. You've got two voices you're going to listen to. You want the voice of life. You want the voice of death. You're going to choose. And we have to be intentional about choosing it. Because if you're not, we're just so used to falling into that realm of just doing whatever's easy. What makes sense to us. Because a lot of times, it make, in fact, even what we see tells us what Satan says the doctor brings you a bad report, it makes sense that your mind sees your body not doing well. But if God's given you a different word, you've got to believe what the word says, not what you see. So it's easy to fall into that thought process, but God says choose life. Choose what I believe. Follow after where I'm taking you. But it's, you have to be intentional about it. You have to work hard to be intentional about it and believe what God says and choose to do what God says and obey what God says. Okay? So... That is the third thing about winning the war of words then. So, again, if we're going to win this, we've got to choose to listen to what God says. We have to choose to believe what God says. We have to choose to obey what God says. Then our lives will be filled with life and life abundantly and overflowing, the Scripture says in John 10.10. 10. So I'm going to end with this Scripture is Revelations 12, 9, 10 and 11 says, Now has come salvation and power and the kingdom of God in the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of the brother who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Who's the accuser of the brother? Wait. He's been hurled. We just talked about casting him down a minute ago, right? He's been cast down. But how does that happen? They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. You have to use God's word in your mouth. And when you do that, if you read this verse backwards, you put God's word in your mouth, you take the blood of the Lamb, and what happens backwards, then Satan's cast down. And when Satan's cast down, then comes salvation, then comes power, then comes the kingdom. Then comes the authority. We want authority over Crawford? 
You gotta hurl, you gotta hurl thing down by using the word. You gotta believe the word, follow the word. So, um, I think that's pretty much it. Say we need to say what God says. Last week, Pastor was talking about prophesying over the bones. That's words. So those dry bones, those dry things in your life that are dead. You've got to start speaking God's Word over them. Prophesy over them. Bring those dead bones to life. And then the sixth, second thing in the Scripture last week was about prophesying to the wind to bring that life, the Word of God, the Spirit of God into those things. Prophesy to the wind that the Holy Spirit's life will enter. So that's where we are. So to close with, Kyla's got a song for us. I love this song. It's one of my favorite songs. And, and Kyla graciously agreed to sing it for us. But I'm sure it's beautiful. She's a beautiful singer. But listen to the words as well because they'll speak to your heart because it's about identity. The song is all about what God says things about you that we don't believe about us or it's contrary. This song, it's called You Say. It's a Lauren Daigle song. You probably mostly all know it. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Oh, you say I'm yours.
Taking all I have and now I'm laying it at your feet You have every failure, God, and you'll have every victory much says it all right there. So put God's word in your mouth this week as you go on and take back your life. (laughs) Put God's word in your mouth and take back your family. Put God's word in your mouth and let's take back our communities and our nation. Okay, Because we are who God says we are, not what Satan and the world says we are. So we'll close in prayer. Um, I guess Casey, stay put long enough to get the offering and then you'll be dismissed. If you do want to pray with me or just pray at the altar because somehow this is speaking to you, that we would be glad to pray with you or just come and pray by yourself. That's surely always want to make that available to you because God wants to change us. He wants to take what the enemies meant for evil and turn it to good. So um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you today. We just praise you for your word. We praise you for the example you set us, Jesus, to uh, not believe what I think about myself outside of what you say about me, not to believe what others say outside of what you say about me, not to accept the glory of man outside of the glory that comes from you, and just to put your word in my mouth that we may change the world. We can change the world, Lord, with the power of your word speaking into those dry bones, speaking into that, that lifeless body that needs the Spirit of God to enter it. We thank you and praise you and give you glory for all you're accomplishing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.